On this episode four of Food People Are the Best People, I'm speaking to John Becker and Megan Scott. They are the fourth generation of the Rombauer Becker family to work on the joy of cooking. Over the last decade, they have tested thousands of recipes from previous editions of Joy and developed over 600 new ones for the latest edition, published in 2019. John is the great-grandson of Irma Rombauer, and Megan started working on Joy in 2019 when she and John met, fell in love, and bonded over a shared love of blue cheese. Megan and John, thanks for joining today. Thanks so much for having us. Pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a beautiful Saturday. I know you're probably like not thinking about wanting to be inside cooking, talking about cooking, um, but I appreciate <laughs> you being here. <laughs> of course, yeah. I feel like when the weather is nice in Oregon, like people are just out picnicking and, you know, cooking outside, but they no one wants to stay inside because it's such a rarity when we get sunshine or, you know, here. Yeah, after uh, after like six months of rain, winter weather, um, yeah, everyone just wants to be outdoors. And we were up until like three minutes before this podcast. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Like, I got two smoking projects done yesterday, so I feel like I'm good for a while. Smoking? Like smoking, smoking like as in me? Um, actually, it was this time it was mushrooms um, and... And some, onions. And onions. Um, do, um, one was for smoked mushroom bao, and then the other was for just a smoked onion powder. <clears throat> oh, wow. It's really good. I love it. And are you, how are you smoking? Are you, um, like, there's so many different methods. Are you doing like a cold smoke or a hot smoke or? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't really have a fancy cold smoking apparatus. I mean, I know you can just do like a smoking gun, which is not, I guess, all that fancy, but. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's just hot smoking, but at a fairly low temperature. I mean, especially for the onions, which are going to get dried anyways, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, and the well, mushrooms carry there. Well, I, you know what I, I love is I love it when actual food people, people who cook all the time or like they do it professionally, do it on the side. Like they still enjoy cooking, right? Because yeah. after, after you birth this baby of a book, I mean, yeah. you like taking vacation and not want to cook anything for a while? I mean, it was interesting because like towards the end of writing the book, it's very little about cooking and very much about um, editing and copy editing and then um, publicity. So book tour. And so I feel like after that was over, we really wanted to cook because we hadn't been able to really cook that much for like five or six months. Um, and then of course the pandemic happened and we were cooking every single day because we that's what you have to do. And so then after that, we were a little tired of cooking again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, for those who don't know, um, I know I heard you once before share like a little uh, synopsis about how, how the story of Joy of Cooking came about and maybe a, a short version of it because it's really fascinating. And, you know, Irma as a woman, as a mother, as a real entrepreneur and, you know, I feel like, she, like what a go-getter, you know? Um, I don't know if people really, if you could share maybe like the family history, you know, for certainly, because John, you know, as, as we know, great-grandson, great-grandson of Irma Rombauer. Yeah, it's a, it's a <clears throat> long multi-generational story, but uh, yeah, Irma was in her 50s when she published the first edition. Her 
uh, husband had died by suicide uh, like a few years prior and had left Irma with um, what was the equivalent of basically two years salary. Um, and she took half of that money <laughs> and decided to publish a cookbook, which everybody around her thought was kind of not the most, not the savviest business move, um, you know, because she really was not. She was known as like a really enthusiastic hostess and like really, you know, um, just very adept at entertaining people, but not necessarily as like this, you know, show-stopping cook. Uh, so, so yeah, she published the first edition, had it privately printed. So, you know, and <clears throat> I mean, what sep what separated it apart from like what you know, other vanity books. I mean, cause that's what they were, right? I mean, like a lot of, a lot of uh, high society ladies would publish, uh, you know, these privately print these books that were just kind of like, yeah, vanity books. Um, but, you know, she really had a rapport um, with her readers in that book. Um, just uh, like a lot of wit and there was kind of like this, um, there was a levity to it where it wasn't quite at the same uh, level as like, uh, like I guess the, the biggest equivalent at the time would be the Boston Cooking School cookbook, which, you know, kind of much more coming at it from a home economic standpoint rather than the way Irma did, which is more of like kind of a friend in the kitchen or, you know, somebody that you're confiding, you know, a confidant. Um, right. I felt like the other cookbook was like how to like, make use of your day old whatever and not waste and that kind of thing or just uh how to how to utilize all the stuff <laughs> of the animal <laughs> right or just like insisting for 10 pages on how you must scoop and sweep everything <laughs> in order to get the most precise measurements and so that you don't mess up whatever you're making yeah i remember much more of an off the cuff kind of cook um and and that really shows up in her the way she wrote that first joy because she would have these little humorous stories or these these little asides where her wit would really come through and that wasn't super common during that time um so i think people really um people really appreciated that that resonated with people because cooks didn't get the impression that she was talking down to them that she was actually you know i'm just a home cook and i'm you know talking to other home cooks so i think that that is part of why joy was so successful in those early days Oh yeah, I mean, I, I did, was I correct in reading that Julia Child, you know, credits Joy of Cooking as for teaching her how to cook. You know, we think of Julia. Julia, well, I don't yeah, know. Ju Ju Julia said some very, very nice things about the book over the years. Um, she did like the a really, a really nice review of it for McCall's magazine, and like when the nineteen seventy five edition came out, and then you know when before the before my father. Uh, oversaw the um, publication of the 2006, she really had some input into how that was going to, um, Julia had, had a lot of input in how that, how that revision was going to um, kind of play out. And she was very, very supportive. Um, I, she did meet Irma. Um, I don't think that she met Marion, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I actually got to meet her at an IACP event. And like, <laughs> I think it was, uh, the year I graduated from high school, so like 1997. Uh, very imposing, very imposing in person, but super, <laughs> super nice. <clears throat> imposing as in like very, very tall. I was <laughs> over six feet tall. <laughs> uh, that, well, that's incredible. I know. I think of, I think of, when I hear about the story, I, I always think it would make such a great movie, right? Yeah. 
I think it would. I think it would be a really because I think the history is so fascinating, and that that origin story is really just scratching the surface. Like there's the family history is fascinating to me, especially I think as an outsider, um, because I'm like you know I don't my family hasn't. I mean I love my family and they're lovely people, but like they haven't done that much. But John's family, it's like they wrote the joy of cooking for like now over four generations, and then before that, like his. Um, I think it was Irma's stepbrother or something was the health commissioner of St. Louis during the 1918 flu pandemic. I don't know. There's just like all these big things in his family that are so fascinating. Right. It's like the, uh, I, I mean, let's put it out there. All those screenwriters out there, you know, uh, this would make a great movie. Drama, multi-generation where you can, you can have like the flashbacks, right? And you, all the way to the modern, like who would play you? Who would play, I mean, who would play John? Like modern John, like I'm already casting, who would play Megan, you know? Like it should go all the way back to the past, all the generations, all the history, but have like lots of cooking. So it's like, you know, you see, you see the personalities, but you know, you know, then you interject the side stuff that makes the movie come alive. Anyway, I feel like it's <laughs> every time I talk to you, I always think this is so dramatic. This should this should be a movie because I don't think people. I mean, it's like it's one of those cookbooks. Like I tell people, it's one of those cookbooks that you kind of always remember seeing on the bookshelf, like in the you know cookbook, like your mother had it your aunt had it your grandmother had it well mine did it because mine was korean you know we had no cookbooks but you know people who grew up in this country for sure um as you go around the country and when you're doing your book tours and things like that did you hear i would imagine you would hear tons of stories of people having like memories of uh growing up you, you know eating and cooking from joy of cooking yeah, we, we yeah. It, that was probably the coolest part of, of going on book tour was getting to hear people's stories or just, you know, every, it did, does seem like everyone would say, oh, my mother used this for this recipe and we're, we were mad that you got rid of it in this edition. You know, people are very partisan when it comes to the different editions, but right. the, people also just have the coolest stories. Like we, we heard from a couple of folks who were actually cooks on um, like sailboats they would have one cookbook and it was the joy of cooking because joy has everything in it. So you don't need any other books and they would like catch fish during the day. And the, you know, joy would have instructions for cook or like gutting it and cooking it. And so that was, I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. The, the coverage, the fit, our, our coverage of fish cookery got much, much better. I mean, you know, Irma was many, she was very talented and had a lot of experience in the kitchen, but she was from the Midwest. I mean, <laughs> You know, one her son was actually <clears throat> Edgar was uh, living in Seattle by the time that she was writing the first edition. So she did have some experience, especially with like in the first edition, you'd see like a lot of uh, oyster dishes and stuff like that. And it, to me, at least, that kind of maybe speaks to how she was traveling traveling out to Seattle to visit her son. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, generally speaking, Midwesterners are not exactly what you would call. Um, super duper familiar with fish cookery. Um, but yeah, like I think it was by the 60s, our, our, I think we had actually surpassed like a lot of the, um, uh, you know, general purpose cookbooks as far as like recovering, like how, how to clean fish and how, how to prepare different types of fish. I mean, that's one of the things I love so much of it about it is because if you are going to have one cookbook, like one, you know, oftentimes, like I feel like it's a perfect gift for a college student or somebody mm -hmm. like, you know, they, 
it seems very sexist, but like you get married and here's your cookbook, you know, but give it to the, give it to the gentleman, you know, but, um, but I feel like if you're going to start your cookbook collection, this is a good place to start because it covers pretty much everything. And then from there you can, you know, expand for, you can specialize in, you know, areas of interest, but joy will teach you how to make pretty much anything, anything that you want to eat, it's covered. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a really good basic primer on a lot of different dishes. And so, and also if you just want kind of a baseline recipe for like a classic dish, it's a really good place to start. And then, you know, we're always trying to encourage people like try, try the, you know, try the original, try the basic recipe, but then go off and do add your own little flourishes or, you know, make it your own recipe. Um, We, we definitely, we're not super um, strict about, you know, we don't expect people to just make the recipes in the book and never deviate. We know people want to play around and we think that's part of learning how to cook too. So what are some of the recipes, like what of the, cause I know you t- retest all the recipes of the original, like the, I want I don't want to say the old, but the older recipes, were there any that were just surprisingly like much better than you even remember? Like they've co- like completely withstood this test of time um one of the oldest recipes well it's been in the books since 1931 um is the apple dumpling recipe which i i think i underestimated when we were going to test it i i was like okay apple dumplings those are fine um but i underestimated how delicious it was and it's a really fabulous really really good recipe it's just like you know it's got apples in pastry that are like baked in this sticky lemony sauce um and so they get really caramelized and almost like chewy with that caramelized sugar it's so good really it's a good one um that's the one that immediately comes to mind for me right yeah because you know sometimes you see these recipes you you see them in these old cookbooks and you imagine they probably were really good at that time, but as because pe- you know you exposure mm-hmm. to ingredients or access to ingredients, and then you know people taste buds. People are they change right, and they they kind of don't last. They don't stand the withstand the test of time. But I I love old recipes if they're good, you know. But yeah. I, well, how fun it is to be able to have a recipe that's you know nearly a hundred years old or something like that. It would. I would imagine that would be kind of cool. You want to keep those in there. <laughs> it's also it's also fun to just look at what didn't, uh, you know, withstand the test of time. Uh, you know. What are the someone some of those that come to mind? Well, the one that the one that comes to my mind immediately is one that I actually discovered pretty recently. I don't know why. I guess I had, maybe I had like read read the recipe title and then just tried to block it out of my mind. But I think it was a uh, cream of ketchup soup. Oh my god. <laughs> Talk about talk about a, a minimalist pantry recipe for you. Yeah. Did you make it? No, I did not no. make it. No. You're like, oh no, it's just not going in. Yeah, so, sometimes you can just reject things out of hand just by looking right. at them. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've gone past the cream of ketchup. Yeah. I think those those are those are kind of funny too, for sure. I I love the old. I have a really old edition at home, and um, I like to read it to my children because it reminds them of the ingredients that people used to eat you know, like muskrat and things like that. Like they find it just hilarious, you know, you know, it's, it was quite common, you know, there was a time where even people like didn't even like lobster, like lobster used to be, you know, it was a time when lobster was considered not a, you know, fancy ingredient. It was needed to the prisoners, you know, that kind of thing. So these ingredients change, but we were, uh, (laughs) I was reading to them because they had instructions for how to like skin a skin and it would all these like 
animals that you would catch. They thought it was just so fun. And of course, you don't have those in the modern one anymore, which I kind of miss, but I love those. It was so hands-on, you know? <laughs> we don't have recipes from muskrat, but we definitely, we, we do approach like how to deal with, with you know, those, those types of, um, uh, you know, game, I guess you could call it game. Uh, game. But yeah. Even rabbits, like rabbits exotic to some people, you know. It's true, mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah, we include, we did update the instructions for, we have instructions for skinning rabbits and you know, it's applicable to squirrels as well. So we updated that for the most recent edition. Um, but we didn't keep the um, famous or notorious illustration of the boot stepping on the, you know, oh, squirrel. Well, frankly, it's just not not a very good way to go about it. Yeah, that, that's not the best practice for skinning a squirrel, anyway. So probably not. But I just, you know, I just imagine women, uh, you know, men and women all over the country, like fully getting the book out, getting on the work boot, and just like getting out there and doing it. You know, because that's well, you it. Know what? I, I worked for some folks, so I worked on a goat dairy for several years, and um, the folks who owned it said that they had. Um, one year for and it was like Christmas Day, somebody hit a deer in front of their house. And so rather than let it go to waste, they they got out joy of cooking and read about how to skin the deer. So they skinned it and they ate venison for Christmas. And I I I mean it's a little gruesome, but like I love that that joy is like that kind of desert island book that you can use right. like, oh, I have just all of a sudden I have this deer that I need to eat. Like, how do I deal with this thing? And right. you can find the instructions in there. Yeah. I mean, we, and we go way beyond the road, the roadkill cookbook. Yeah. I mean, it's just, let's, let's be honest, the roadkill cookbook, not, not doesn't really have anything yet. on joy. No, no, but it's in there. It's just kind of, you may never need it, you know, yeah. but there, there is a chapter in case you need it. It makes perfect sense when you said, you know, someone on a sailboat or on a deserted island or something like that. It's like, this is this is the one that you keep for sure. <laughs> I know, speaking of old recipes, I used to make, um, I used to make a recipe, uh, it was for, it, had, it was called squirrel soup. Well, I'm sure it had a more sophisticated name, but you know, the modern, the, everyone uses chicken, but mm -hmm. the original was squirrel. And so I used to always announce as what's for dinner? I'd say squirrel soup. <laughs> you know, and I would just leave it at that, you know, people were like horrified. And I was like, it's quite delicious. But it was, you know, but the, I appreciate old recipes like that because they are, they are, the recipe is history, you know, as I don't have to explain to you, but like, it is like a time capsule for what people were cooking, you know, what people had available to them. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, like trends and flavors. I mean, I imagine that, you know, what, what would be some of the you in you included 600 new recipes a lot of them international which i love i love that you really push the boundaries and kind of open things up um and it's not just you guys every edition there's always it's very cosmopolitan i would always say that every edition um had very cutting edge recipes for that time mm -hmm. so when you, were, when you were putting together the latest edition were there some where you just like i just don't think people are gonna like put that much effort or put that much effort into securing these ingredients or is it too out there for people? We really struggled um, with our like desire to add um, Ethiopian dishes because they really, it really, um, you know, in order to do a lot of uh, Ethiopian recipes correctly, you know, you, you either have to be near, um, you know, places that is selling the right uh, prepared ingredients or else you have to make your own, uh, what is it, meter kebab? Mm -hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm seasoned, probably mis mispronouncing the, the seasoned um, clarified butter, 
Um, and then also making, you know, complex spice blends that you right. use in a lot of the recipes. So we, we did struggle with that. And then I would also say like, we, we really wanted to add Bun Bo Hue, um, mm-hmm. which is this amazing Vietnamese soup that, but it, it's, it's better if you just go to a restaurant and <laughs> buy it from someone who knows, like who knows what they're doing, who makes it all the time. And it's right. really delicious. Cause it has so many, like it's got this really delicious rich broth and it has like the blood, um, co- you know, coagulated blood, which you can buy, but like you kind of, it's got meatballs. Like you, you really want, it's a lot of work if you're going to do it at home. And so it's kind of just better to buy it. Yeah. Right. Go eat it somewhere. <laughs> Well, it's, I guess it's you have to have those criteria. It must have been really hard narrowing it down. I mean, it's a massive book. It's yeah. <laughs> functional in that all the information, but also like if you need a, a doorstop or whatever, it's a heavy. Yeah. Also, yeah, I mean, we've we've seen people like use it as a little um, a little uh, booster seat for their kid, you know, like their toddler or you know, cats really like the ribbons that are in the book, so that it's a good cat toy too. I feel like our, our cat Loki has chewed the ribbon like in, into an unrec- unrecognizable mass, like yeah. like at least most of our five books. editions. Oh, oh <laughs> my goodness! Well, that's so fun. Um, and then I, you know, you, you talked about growing up in the Midwest. I mean, I love regional ingredients too, and regional dishes. Um, what are some of the things that you remember growing up, like eating in your, when you were that? I think about like what people grew up eating. Um, versus like what they eat today. And especially for food people, they usually have some sort of interesting memories of like regional foods. Are there any regional foods that come to mind that you remember from your childhood? Well, I grew up, so I I spent my school years with my mother in Portland, and then I would go visit my father uh, in Cincinnati. And whenever I would, you know, I would fly solo (laughs) across the country, which, you know, when I was when I was six or seven years old, that was like a really big adventure. And it would, the adventure would always end in uh, you know, like him taking me to get some Cincinnati chili. So that's always like, I mean, it's not like- I don't like know what that is. I've never had it. Um, I like to just, you know, a lot of people turn their nose up at it because it doesn't really fit in the chili genre because it's served on spaghetti. <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't even really have- it's like spaghetti noodles, but chili on top, right? So instead of like, yeah, uh, no, there's no beans in it. Well, you can you can have it with kidney beans, but that's like the five. Well, whatever. There are ways that you you are you can have it. The you know, but the the basic chili does not have beans in it, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of interesting um, uh, Eastern European spicing. So I, the way I like to describe it to people is that it's a it's a Macedonian bolognese, which makes it sound really sophisticated and hard to dismiss, which a yeah. lot of people, which a lot of people tend to do to Cincinnati chili for some reason. I am totally fascinated by it. I, I have a friend who always eats it and I've never had it yet, but I, I'm like intrigued because it sounds like it would be delicious. Like, why wouldn't it be? And I didn't know that it was spiced differently. I just thought it was like a good chili on, uh, no, you know, no chili powder in it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and you know, it's controversial, but there's like our <laughs> Joy's recipe has a little bit of unsweetened chocolate in it. Right. Uh, it's time. Really sweet, right? It has a little sweetness to it that you're not. Yeah. You get more of like kind of the, I guess more of the bitterness from the chocolate more than anything mm-hmm. else. Cause it's not, it's like a baking chocolate. It's not like, uh, yeah, but, um, I'm trying to remember you like the recipe that's in Joy, my father, Ethan developed it. And um, let's see, it's like allspice, black pepper, 
um, cumin, cinnamon. Um, yeah, the rest of it's kind of escaping me. But a, a lot of these, a lot of these spices are definitely not what you would normally find in chili. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, well, I, I'm gonna have to dig up that recipe and make it because I, I have been fascinated by it. Um, I always, I love to, I love to try regional foods um, because yeah. I feel like they tell me a little bit something about. And then I want to know. It's fun to taste it, but then also to learn the origins of how that came about. Mm -hmm. and, and you grew up in the Portland area. No, I grew up in North Carolina. Um, yeah, so like uh, the foothills of North Carolina. And so some of the things I grew up eating, and actually a few of these things made it into the book, but my my great-grandmother would, all, every Sunday, my, my whole family would get together and eat lunch together. Um, and she would make pimento cheese and send each of us home with a little container of pimento cheese. Like she, so she was kind of part of that um Great Depression generation. So she always saved all the containers from like sour cream and stuff. So she would put the pimento cheese in the sour cream container and send us all home with our own container of pimento cheese. And hers is like the gold standard for me when it comes to pimento cheese. So that's my bit, one of my big food memories. Well, you know, it's like so uh, popular now and it's, you see it at such great restaurants and you see people like freaking, like all these foodies like freaking out over pimento cheese. And, you know, for a while it was just like, oh, it's just pimento cheese. Like it was kind of like seen as yeah. like a Betty Crocker like recipe that, you know, Aunt Flo made. Um, but now it's like everywhere and people get really excited about ordering it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's do you remember, delicious. do you remember Steve's cheese bar? No. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember he had, he had a pimento cheese on the menu and, you know, of course he's selling like, a bunch of Neil's yard cheeses and a bunch of Jasper Hill and stuff. And it's just kind of fun to, you know, <laughs> like, okay. I love that highbrow, lowbrow and it's delicious. Yeah. It's delicious. Like for anybody yeah. who like has a, a bad memory of having a bad version, I say revisit it. Um, mm -hmm. And have from a good source, you know, because it is really delicious. <laughs> yeah, I think the key, at least this is my opinion, but like you need just enough mayonnaise to make it hold together, but it should not be swimming in mayonnaise. Like it should not be so much mayonnaise and you need a good sharp cheddar. Yeah. Um, don't muck around with like mild cheddar for <laughs> cheese. Oh uh, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, and speaking of cheese, uh, and when he, I hear about your the the love story, I always like to know how couples, because you guys are unusual because you're a couple and you're you know co-authors together. Um, but I always like to know how couples meet, and you guys have a really nice like kind of a love story of how you met and stuff like that. But you have a shit you, you you say that you fell in love over a shared love of blue cheese, right? Yes, that is uh, that's one of the things that. Well, let's just say that my 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 saying that I liked blue cheese did not disqualify me as a potential suitor. Yeah, um, exactly. I established that blue cheese was something we could share um, because I cheese is very important to me. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so like the way we met, um, I was working at this bakery in North Carolina, like Western North Carolina. Um, so John and I went to the same university, different times, but we ended up in the same college town. And so I'm working at this bakery. John's working at a coffee shop just around the corner. So I would go to the coffee shop um, most days to like do assignments or reading. And um, one of my coworkers at the bakery one day, um, you know, I mentioned I was going to this coffee shop and he said, well, didn't you, did you hear that the guy, one of the baristas there, his family wrote The Joy of Cooking. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a real thing. Um, I, I think you're, you're messing with me because he knew I, I really liked Joy. Like I had 
that was the first cookbook I'd ever bought for myself. And so um, I promptly went down to the coffee shop and asked the barista behind the counter who happened to be John, um, if that was the case. And he sort of blushed and he was like, oh yeah, that's, that's my family. Um, but he said it really sheepishly, like he didn't want anyone else to know about it, which I thought was very cute. Like he wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to brag. He was just very humble about it. And um, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So, um, but then, yeah, then we as groupies or whatever you're like, cookbook author groupie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to say, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like the most wholesome groupie situation ever. <laughs> <laughs> Shared love of blue cheese. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so you knew that right away about him. So, and it probably, you probably had like a thousand questions for him then because of you were so, you know, you're so familiar with the book. Well, I think what surprised me at first was that I, I had owned this cookbook and cooked a lot of things out of it. And I loved it, but I didn't even think that there was still a family behind it. Like, I didn't think that there was actually a living person associated right. with the book. I thought it was this almost historical thing. And to find right. out that there was still a family that was, you know, stewarding the book and that was very invested in in making it sure it was, you know, living up to its legacy, that was really powerful and um, made me love it even more. And um, then I got to like be a part of, be a part of it, which I don't even know. Like it's so amazing. Like I don't, I don't have words to describe like how cool that is that I've been able to work on this book. Um, but yeah. So again, that's the scene from the movie. I see like you're like Gwyneth Paltrow's playing you, and she's just oh like, my god, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> Here he is. Like I've been thinking, you know, like, I see that scene. I can see that. I can see that scene in the coffee shop where you're confronting the barista, and then you know, <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, because it is. It's a lot of responsibility. You know, it is. I mean, are you? Is that book in, like in the Smithsonian or something? I feel like it should be like in Library of Congress. Like I would imagine it is. I think it's. Um, so there's a. I believe it's the, Smith, the Smithsonian that has an exhibit that was like Julia Child's kitchen. Um, and she had, she had a couple copies of Joy in her cookbook library. I think those are there. Um, but I would love to talk to the Smithsonian about a hundredth anniversary exhibit for Joy, which is coming up in 2031. Yeah, I, I okay, we gotta get the movie made by then. Gotta get <laughs> I, can, I can totally see it. Uh, well, okay, let's talk about condiments. I was thinking about you guys the other day because I was cleaning out my refrigerator and I have a lot of condiments. <laughs> and I always wonder if other people who cook like condiments as much as I do, because, you know, you think, okay, you know, people who cook, they make all their own condiments. I buy, I buy condiments. Whenever I see a new condiment, I always want to buy it and try it out. Um, but I was just curious to know what your favorite condiments were, each of you individually. And mm -hmm. be very specific, brand too. Because I'm, I'm, I'm shopping in my head, like, if there's anything I don't have that I should try. Somebody recently gifted us a uh, hot sauce called Zabs. It's really good. Um, I think it's made in, um, it might be made in California, but um, yeah, it's made with- What's unique about it? Like, what is it? It's got peri peri peppers in it. Um, this is just like- I thought it was, I thought it was datil peppers oh, or maybe, something. Maybe you're right. Yeah, However you say that. Yeah, that's right. But it's but, nice hot sauce. Cause there's the world of hot sauce. There's so many hot sauces. I always like a recommendation because you can stand in front of the hot sauce. Like if you go to a gourmet grocery store, like <laughs> I always want a recommendation. Well, but yeah. What is it called again? 
Also, Zabs. 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 Zabs with a Z. Okay. Yeah, you can get it at uh, Well Spent Market. Mm-hmm. Um, Very cute market here in Portland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, then of course there's Sarah Marshall's sauces. They're they're awesome. Oh, um, yeah. Love her sauces. They're so yeah. balanced. They're like a when you say hot sauce, it's a sauce that just happens mm-hmm. to be spicy or hot. But it is there's a lot of layers and depth for her flavors. This is a, a local maker of uh, specialty hot sauce. And she yeah. makes this amazing chimichurri that she's been selling at the market only. Yeah, but, yeah that has it has. Not it yet, but I hear you have to go. Yeah. Bottle, you go and you. It's first come first serve. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. It's got lovage and mint in it, and it's mm. just it's it's fantastic. It's really really good. Um, but yeah, as far as like you know more standard condiment or you know widely available condiments, um, you ever had bulldog sauce? It's a Japanese sauce, you know, you would use it for uh, tonkatsu. Yes, yes. I've never owned it, but I've had it because they usually say on the menu that they use is like kiwi mayonnaise and bulldog sauce, or they'll say like the sauces by name. Yeah, that's quite tasty. Do you put it, what do you put it on? Uh, Well, (laughs) mostly uh, tonkatsu. Yeah. Yeah. well, you made me because when we were talking about ketchup, cream of ketchup soup, I, I thought about ketchup too. Because you know, I I actually like ketchup. I don't put it. I tell people when I say I like ketchup, I always get this like, "You like ketchup?" And I'm like, I don't put ketchup where it doesn't belong. Right? Yeah. No, ketchup is delicious. Who but I find like when people poo-poo ketchup, I'm like, ketchup. I might say is like one of the finest condiments because it is what it's sweet sour like acidic like bright kind of salt you know it's kind of like it has all the flavor notes <laughs> well it's kind of like it's I, I think it's the closest that we have well that's it's maybe like in the running for like uh america's mother sauce because you yeah. know you, <laughs> create well like, obviously i'm gonna quote john becker said <laughs> Ketchup is America's mother sauce. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I did or mayonnaise. I don't know which one it is, honestly. Mayonnaise is French. But, well, sure. But, but we Americans ketchup, have taken it to a different level. But I guess ketchup is like, I mean, technically in origin, like what people have traced it back to. Oh, yeah. Ketchup uh, in Indonesia. So. Yeah, but that's a very different than the like that's American true. tomato ketchup. True. But yeah, like ketchup is fantastic. Fine. And you can use it. You can use it in like, I mean, you make all these different sauces from it, which is why, yeah, I think mother sauce is really appropriate. Like you make tartar sauce with it. You make a uh, cocktail, so- not tartar sauce, but um, what yeah. am I thinking of? Cocktail sauce, barbecue sauce. sauce. And there's so many barbecue yeah. sauces that are just based on ketchup. Yeah. Or have ketchup. I feel like every, no meatloaf is complete with, unless you do something with, ketchup has to be in there, <laughs> you know, either in the glaze or inside, like it's, people will put all sorts of fancy things. And like, I like, I like meatloaf. I mean, I like all kinds of foods, but I mean, like if we talk about meatloaf is another example where people are like, uh, it gets a bad rap because so many people had really bad meatloaf, right? Mm-hmm. Like bad, unflavored, like dry, dry yeah. disgusting meatloaf. But I've also had meatloaf at very fancy restaurants, really delicious versions. I feel like I make a good meatloaf and I, there's ketchup in it <laughs> and people will try to take the ketchup out. And I'm like, but then tastes like meatloaf then, <laughs> you know? Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, and, and of course you have the pates and terrines, which are really, you know, only so far removed from a meatloaf. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you go that way. <laughs> I mean, no food snobs here. We cannot have, we cannot, no. yes. Um, and 
Megan, what do you, what kind of condiments do you like? <laughs> um, I really like um, Valentina hot sauce. Um, it's just a really delicious Mexican hot sauce that, um, you can get, if you're lucky, you can get the spicy version, but I don't see it as much as like just the regular. Um, but it's, I like the consistency of it. It's like kind of thicker. Um, it goes really nicely on things. It doesn't just want to run off. And then it has a, just a really lovely balanced, like it's a little bit spicy. It's not crazy. It has just a good flavor. Um, we are also a big chili crisp household. We love spicy chili crisp. Really? Which one do you like? Because I was just talking about with somebody how like it's kind of everywhere now <laughs> for, yeah. for the good, good or bad or whatever, but it's everywhere. And it's for me, it's kind of fun to see um, people who you wouldn't associate as chili crisp eaters now putting chili crisp on everything, like on their avocado toast, on their scrambled eggs. <laughs> like, I say if it's if it's adding joy to your life, right? Add it. You know, it, you're, it's a, it's a instant way to add a pop of flavor, right? Absolutely. What yeah. I think that in general, we're, we just favor Lao Gamma, like the, yeah. the quote unquote original one. Mm -hmm. um, we actually have a recipe for chili crisp in the book that I, I just did a big batch for a canning club that we, uh, mm -hmm. we, we hosted at our house. But, um, but yeah, I, I've heard the S and B one is really good and that we should try that one, that it's like super crunchy. Right. Oh so, yeah, I'm looking forward to finding the S and B one. What's the key to the crunchy? Like, um, I never really dug into. It. I've never made it at home. Um, I mean, the hot, hot makes sense. So the spicy, but like, what, what's in it? That's the crunchy, the crisp part. <laughs> um, well, you know, I think it's uh, in the original. I think it's the soy nuts. Um, you know, like roasted soy nuts and. But there's also like fry. I mean, you when you make it, you you fry shallots and you fry garlic until they they become crisp. And then we usually put peanuts in ours, um, so there's more crispiness. And then the chilies are dried, so that you get a little bit of that crunchiness from chilies too. Yeah, I mean, a lot of recipes have you like frying every single component to get it crunchy. I don't know if you need to do that. I I um this last time I just and what I recommend what we recommend in the book is just um you know, tossing the shallots in some cornstarch and then uh, frying those and then adding them to like kind of the simmering chili oil uh, mm -hmm. towards the end with, with the peanuts. Oh, that's great. It's like, yeah. how do I get an invite to your uh, canning club? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that, that sounds really fun. I don't like, I'm like, I'm the same way with canning as I am with knitting where I don't want to do it by myself because I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up, but I like to do it with other people who know what they're doing because I just, I feel safer like I'm not going to mess up. And if I do mess up, they're there to fix it. <laughs> you know? oh, by the way, quick disclaimer, like you can, this, we did not actually can this mixture. We don't uh, recommend. We, we didn't, we didn't process <laughs> it. It's, it is, has to be refrigerated, but we put it in jars. So, and that's a lot of people. Well, yeah, especially if you don't have very much time or, you know, it's just like, you haven't got out, got out to the farmer's market to get a bunch of stuff to can, you know, right. we, th this particular canning club, they're, they're fine with that. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I, 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 either one, I'm all for that, you know, <laughs> but I, I, but canning and preserving is always a little scary to me. I don't want to like poison my family and, you know, people who can all the time, you know, we live in Portland, like everyone's preserving all the time and everyone assumes I do. And I don't, because I actually don't like to do project cooking. Like mm -hmm. I leave to my husband. I like to do, I'm like the fast um, person, like I'll do things very quickly and I like to entertain, but I don't like to do anything that's a process and part of it is just all those years, like going to culinary school and working in kitchens and stuff like that. It's like, I know that I could, this is a matter of like 
learning it and following directions and paying attention and doing it. So it's not, I don't feel like I have anything to prove. Like, mm -hmm. like I can't, I can do it, but there are amazing people already doing it that I could just buy, you know, that's how I feel about it. So yeah. I know you guys have to, you have to be versed in everything. So you, you, if, whether you really want to do it for your own home, you ha kind of have to do it for the book for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a few, I feel like, you know, be, being in this canning club, we do more, we probably do more canning because of that than any other reason. But like, there are a few projects that we do at pretty much every year. But I, now that I think about it, there's not that many things that we actually can. We probably do more fermentation projects than actual like canning canning. Yeah, we, um, we usually have, I don't know. I mean, I think we make, we make maybe like two half gallon, you know, fermentation jars of kimchi, like, uh, we probably do that like every three months mm -hmm. and then and then during the summer we have to, we there's there has to be like at least one batch of half sour pickles i don't know we're, we're kind of down with the process i mean a lot of that process stuff like that we're talking about it's not like it's super labor intensive it just takes a little bit more time you know yeah it's all hands I love, off. That, I love that you guys do that and i for for me, you know, I grew up in I grew up in Portland, but I lived away for many many years, and so and I came back, and so a lot of my friends are not from Portland, and they they have a vision of what people in Portland are like. And <laughs> I fully embrace like perpetuating that kind of the myth because it did. I say it's funny because it's true. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Right, yeah. Everybody is preserving, fermenting. It's like, um, you, have you made kombucha? Have you you guys made kombucha or have made kombucha? We have we don't have any right now, but we have made it. Yes, See, of course. <laughs> I just wanted you to confirm that you have made kombucha. <laughs> so I feel like kombucha, da da da. Like it's on my checklist of like you if you're gonna be if you're gonna live, be a Port Portland person, you must do these kinds of things. So <laughs> yeah, you know, if it wasn't pandemic times, I'm sure that like you know within a month you have you will hear at least one conversation about like oh yeah, if you want a mother, I I know yeah, somebody you kombucha mother. I've got six. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know my goodness and then um tool um equipment I know that you guys uh like to test out different equipment and stuff like that we were talking uh Bill Oakley and I he was on the show before we were talking about he loves the air fryer I don't have an air fryer my sister has one she swears by it I, I'm pretty minimal in the kitchen but do you, do you guys use the air fryer do you like it have you tried it so Megan has actually used the air, fry air fryer quite a bit well not quite uh, every a now, fair bit. a fair yeah. bit, like for her um, consulting work with mm -hmm. Art Creative, but my day job, yeah, yeah, day job. But we actually just took delivery of um, of a countertop oven that can, you know, technically can air fry, but it's um, it's called uh, an Anova Precision oven. I don't know oh, if you've yeah. mm -hmm. heard of this. It's basically it's a combi oven. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, which is amazing in restaurants to have a combi oven you can do so much stuff in the idea that you, there's a home version of it now but it yeah. does that air frying there's like an air frying setting like <laughs> not technically it's a you know it's a, it's got a convection it's got a fan so it's a convection oven and so you can essentially you're air frying at that point um yeah it's got like you know a convection uh heating element as well as um a top and a bottom heating element and i think if like when when you put it like so the convection is uh element is on and the the top element is on i think it's i mean i you know again like i haven't been air frying very much with other models so um that's I okay i just want to get i want to ask as many people who i trust tell me one way or the other do i need it in my life like i feel like <laughs> I'm missing out. do i need it like i've gone my, all my life without it 
<laughs> right. I mean, the people I who love it are like, oh my gosh, you need this. <laughs> I've really enjoyed using them. I mean, I, I think it depends on what you want to do with it, you know, like, and it, it's important. I think it's always important to be realistic about what you, what is, what is it good for? Because I think appliance manufacturers want to say like, oh yeah, you can, you can bake in it. You can do this and you can do that. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, you can, but is it ideal for that? So the most recent thing I did with an air fryer that actually really impressed me was I, I cooked a whole chicken in it. And it was like one of those basket style air fryers, not the, the oven style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it could only fit a small chicken, but man, it browned. It was so evenly golden and crispy skinned. Like it was, it was delicious. And I didn't have to preheat an oven. Um, right. And it took less time than a normal oven. So I was kind of like, yeah, I feel like I'm sold on it. That's that. That's impressive because that's something that I would eat because, you know, I think if for a while everybody was thinking air fryer for things like, you know, French fries and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, chicken wings and things that you would normally deep fry. Right. But um, I'm not I don't eat a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. well, I think the other huge consideration, obviously, is like space. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, w- we have a garage that's like right next to our kitchen. And so a lot of the appliances will just use them in the garage. And so, right. you know, it's. Yeah, but if it was, it would be a completely different story if we didn't have that kind of space. Yeah. Right. Oh well. Okay. Well, I I feel better. I feel better. I, I I'm still going to ask people about the air fryer. <laughs> you know, like I think there was a recipe going around on the internet about it was like a recipe for a cake that you can make in a rice cooker. Like I I have a rice cooker, and the rice cooker gets used in my house all the time. And then people ask me because they assume I'm Asian how to make rice. I'm like. I don't know how to make rice. I just use a rice cooker. Like, I don't know. Like, I just hit the button. That's perfect rice every time. Why would I do anything different? Obviously, there's different ways to make rice. But then when people are making cakes and stuff like that, I'm like, that can't be good. It's not good. So you're absolutely right about using the equipment for what it was truly intended for and not trying to say, well, you can do this and this and this. You know, it's like, yeah, you could. But is it? Any Why? Yeah. <laughs> I one exception to that, that um, where, you know, obviously the, the device was not designed specifically to do this, but, um, low temperature canning, uh, for pickles, like where you hold it between a hundred and I think it's, it's 180, 180 degrees in the Uh, air fryer. No, 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 no. So (laughs) using an immersion circulator for that. Oh yeah. 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 Great application. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend that for acidified foods pickles in particular. Mm-hmm. That's what the USDA says is okay. And I, I would not argue with USDA. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. They're hardcore. Well, I, well, that's a great example because I think that, um, I did a lot of CV cooking. I actually don't have a CV machine anymore, but I used to, and it's, it's, that's, that's one of those things where it gets a lot of, uh, people don't understand it. And I think, you know, they're only thinking of it for like molecular gastronomy, like these crazy applications. It's like, no, it's like perfect for, people who don't want to be in the kitchen, <laughs> yeah. stuff in, uh, you know, put it in in the morning, come home whenever, whenever you want to eat, just open it up, sear it and it's done. Like it's already cooked. Yeah. Perfect. You just have to add a little caramelization on it. It's done. Perfect. Yeah. Right. I do, um, custards. I love making custards yeah. in it because it just, it makes the smoothest, creamiest, perfectly set custards. And you don't have to worry about overcooking or like if you forget to check it for five minutes, you know, it's, always comes out perfect so yeah, yeah just, just using the mason jars you know just like the half uh, wide mouth half pints it's a good it's good right oh that's a great tip oh uh, i feel like you guys have so many tips i could just do a whole show just on cooking tips like <laughs> 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 oh 
Um, and I was going to ask you too, because I always like to ask people, is there anything that you like to eat that you might, the other, that you might be a little embarrassed to share? Like if you are, no one's watching you, you're home alone. Like, what is that? What are the things that you like to eat for whatever reason, like comfort or ease or whatever that. Well, you mentioned ketchup. And so I'm just going to have to confess First that. Of all, is it ketchup or ketchup? Or catsup. How do you pronounce it? Because you uh, said not not yeah. catsup. Not not catsup. Catsup. But how, say it again, John. Ketchup. What's that word? Ketchup. Okay. Yeah. I say that because um, I live with someone who says catsup or catsup. I don't know how he says it, but it's not right. And every time he says it, I correct him. And he, he doesn't even hear it. He's like, "What? I said that you're. I'm saying it the same way as you. I'm like, no. no. You're saying catsup. Catsup." I don't know what he's saying, but it's not right. But anyway, I, I had a moment, but yes, go ahead. Ketchup, so yeah, uh, cold, cold pizza with ketchup. I'm sorry. It's just I, I, leftover pizza. I will, I will eat that with ketchup and it is delicious. I don't understand. Cold pizza. I get cold pizza. Cold pizza has its own thing. I feel like cold pizza has its own category than hot pizza. Like hot pizza is delicious. Cold pizza is its own category, and it's a different kind of delicious. Absolutely. So, what do you do? Put it, squeeze it on top, dip it. What do you? <laughs> a tiny bit on top, not not too much, but just just. Who enough. taught you this? Did you discover this on your own, or did this was like a college thing, or like how'd you discover this? I, I'm gonna try it. I mean, it's lost in the it's the sands of time. I'm, I'm not <laughs> real sure. I, I, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it occurred in college at some point. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not. I can't blame anyone else for it. So, I guess I'm just got to. Oh, I love I but I love it. I absolutely love it. And when I next time I eat cold cold ketchup, I'm gonna be in some like uh I'm gonna be in some like uh um motel like in the middle of like uh Wyoming, you know, where you're road tripping and I'm gonna get a little packet of ketchup and I'm gonna I'm gonna try this because I heard the heir to uh, joy of cooking tell me that this is a, a combination I should not miss. That is that is the right use case for this, and um, the the crappier the I mean, you know, not good pizza. You know, yeah. you, don't, you don't want Sarah Minix pizza to be treated in this fashion, yeah. even if it is cold. Um, yeah. No, no, good, good, good pizza should be reheated. Yes. No, but that that's I'm gonna try. It. I like that combination, and I love that you're willing to d uh, divulge that to us. <laughs> and the men, and Megan, you're still here. You're still here. So well, obviously. I, I myself have been known to eat cold pizza with ketchup since John introduced it to really? me. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You're so brave. <laughs> so he was like sitting next to you, like eating cold pizza, like ketchup. And you're like, who? I mean, I'm going to try that. <laughs> I'll try most things. Like I'm not squeamish. I, I will try anything. <laughs> you, by choice then you'll go and do it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mostly will do it when with cold pizza, I'll mostly do it with the crust. So yeah. like the crust that's left at the end, I'll like put a little bit of ketchup on. It's a little bit like breadsticks and marinara. Do you have any, do you have anything like that? Do you have any of your own kind of, you know? Um, do I, I, I'm trying you, to think. Being a southerner, you'll do that. Um, well, that's not really embarrassing, but the whole uh, cornbread and buttermilk thing. Oh, yeah. I'll take cornbread and put it, like, usually day old. Like, I don't tend to do it with fresh, but, like, day old cornbread, crumble it up in a glass and then pour buttermilk over it and eat it kind of like cereal. Um, 
right. I know this. And it, to me, no offense, it sounds just like, why would anybody do that? Cause it sounds like, like it's just mushy cornbread. Yeah, it is. It is. It's mushy cornbread. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you, you could call it redneck cereal or whatever, but my grandfather used to do it. And I think right. I, as a kid, didn't really eat it, but as an adult, I, I appreciate it for some reason. Um, I think it's I delicious. I definitely appreciate it. I definitely appreciate it. I don't really understand it, but I've also, I've never had it. So I do have, um, I do have the buttermilk and we eat a lot. My daughter loves cornbread. Next time I'm just going to get us a little glass. I'm going to do it in your honor. Cause I <laughs> feel like I should taste it. So I have a flavor reference of what that is. I mean, it, you know, I, there's nothing going to waste. I love that there, you know, you don't want to waste anything. You know, they probably had buttermilk around and they've had cornbread and you know, it's the, the glass is interesting. I would put it in a bowl. <laughs> put it in a bowl. I mean, it's same, same idea. I don't know I why. Imagine, I imagine you with like a like a a tall like beer beer stein or something like that. <laughs> they get out of the thing. I mean, no, as, like as, as interesting Southern like food habits go, it's it's way way above like the banana and mayonnaise sandwich. Oh my god, my mom. So I don't do this. My mother though. I do not know this. We'll make a banana and mayonnaise sandwich. It a, it's definitely a thing. It's a thing. I don't. I can't bring myself to do it, um, but I, it's a thing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you know, they, I mayonnaise on everything. I saw. I I got one of those Junior League cookbooks. It was like a spiral bound, like a and I somebody got it to for me at a yard sale because I just love looking at these old. And they had a recipe. They had all these recipes for different sandwiches with mayonnaise and something, mayonnaise and something. Yeah. And I wonder I if do, I love mayonnaise. So like tomato sandwiches where it's yeah. like mayonnaise, white bread, tomato, salt and pepper. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. That's, I almost feel like, um, like the bacon lettuce, I, the BLT. Yeah. That's, but it's a whole nother level and it almost interferes with like the glorious tomato. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine that the people who were eating these mayonnaise, tomato sandwiches, they were doing it with like real tomatoes, you know, like that had a lot of flavor. And yeah, you're perfectly right, beef steak, tomato. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's almost like the lettuce and the the bacon are interfering with the tomato, like the tomatoiness of that toma tomato sandwich. Yeah, like, and I feel like also for a regular, so BLT, I want toasted bread, but a tomato sandwich, I just want like untoasted white squishy bread. Yeah. Right, I totally get that. Uh, I'm st I'm still like a, a, the banana. <laughs> it's a little disturbing. It's hard to yeah. shake. It's hard to shake. I'm sorry we mentioned it. I'm so glad you shared this. I, the, see, these are the things like I'm I'm gonna be like an old lady. I'm be like you know 99 years old, and I'll be in my bed thinking about these things because I remember <laughs> I a really good memory, and I remember. Um, specifically people call me the rain man of what people eat like i you know well, i'll be at a table of uh, eight and it'll be like it was 1982 and i can go around the table and imagine each person at that table and i remember what they ordered and what they uh, ate and yeah, yeah. What, what people I, I have this memory for just what people eat and what they like and what they don't like i always remember someone someone does like are allergic to something and they tell me i always remember i don't remember anything else you know <laughs> But I remember like what they eat. So anyway, I'm gonna remember these <laughs> because they're so they're so fun. <laughs> well, anyway, I don't, I don't, um, and I say that they're fun because again, food is so personal, and there's nothing wrong or there's nothing to be embarrassed about anything that people love. And I think the idea of sharing that with somebody, you know, like the idea of 
<laughs> I love that. I love that, Megan, you tried the ketchup pizza because, you know, your love, you're, the love of your life is eating cold pizza so, with ketchup. Yeah. You, you want to support him in that. At least, you know, show him that it's not, you should feel comfortable eat if yeah. he wants to put his ketchup, pizza and ketchup. And then mm -hmm. I just love the fact that it's you guys because I know how sophisticated of a palate and how versed you are in cooking or eating banana mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> no, I, for the record, I do not eat banana and mayonnaise. Oh, you don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Get us, gotta get that straight. <laughs> you, you just have this memory. Oh, but I, you know, the South, when we talk about the South, I have, I'm, I always say, um, in a past life, I feel like I, I, I grew up in the South because I love Southern food, like American Southern food. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of, you know, like the Bible belt, I like the barbecue belt. Like I want to do a tour of the barbecue belt and eat all the regional barbecue and eat all those little, eat in those little tiny places where people make pie by hand. You know, yes. homemade pie. Homemade pie is like the most. Uh, I'm sure you, you're as a baker. Do people ask you all the time what your favorite dessert is, or what do you like? To, what do you like to bake and stuff like that? Um, I I do actually love making pie because I I feel like it's it is something that it takes a little time to learn how to do it right, and it's kind of a labor of love. It takes time, um, and like a pie, making a pie is kind of an all day thing like it's broken up but like it takes a while and um but the result like you don't want to rush the pie you, you want to rush it, it. Oh, let it rest roll it let it rest you know do yes you're not you're not actively doing it all at the time but yes it's a it's a labor of love you know i when i was um i did a motorcycle trip through the south and one of my favorite things I remember is I would see on the side of the road, I'd see signs that say homemade pie and I'd be like in a helmet, whatever in the backseat of the motorcycle. Cause I don't ride. I'm just the rider. I'm just, you know, McGregor's in the front. I tap him and I'd point at the sign <laughs> and he'd be like, Rrr! and we'd stop. And I would, and I'd always say, can I see the pie? <laughs> and they were like, you want to see the pie? And I was like, yes. Can I just see the pie? Because you know, as, as somebody who bakes, you can, immediately identify if it is homemade yes. or if it's like a stamped, you know, or if it's like, or if it was just, you know, like it's a meringue pie, you, you could tell that it's a, um, a store-bought crust and they put the filling, the filling could be homemade, but I wanted the whole thing to be homemade, yeah, but it's exactly. a long, like it's it's a long lost. Yeah. Yeah. Did, it really did is. You guys, did you guys like have a box on the back of the motorcycle for these pies or like some way of transporting them or no? We were just at, we were eating at like diners and, you know, mom and pop little restaurants. And so you could get a slice because those, you know, these are places where you can buy a slice of pie, you know, but I'd always, I didn't care what kind of pie it was. I just wanted it to be a homemade pie, but I wanted to see it. And oftentimes they're not like, it's not like here where they display them. Like I'd go back in the kitchen. They, they, they would be like, okay, girl, she wants to see the pie, <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> and they just let me back in the kitchen and they take it out of the, you know, whatever crisp. And I'd look at it and I'd be like, okay, I'll have a slice. You know? <laughs> but they were, but I think, I think they probably thought it was probably amusing. Like this, you know, strange New Yorker. Cause our, my, our, our motorcycle had New York city license plates on it. But, um, Where yeah. the northerner wants to see our pie. <laughs> But when I was good, I was so appreciated it. And I think that they were, they appreciated the fact that I so appreciated and I recognized it because I would say, I would tell them, this is, you know, like, thank you for making this pie. It was a homemade peach pie. It totally made my day. 
I can't remember the last time I had a homemade peach pie with like real peaches, not from a can, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you could just taste that love. And of course they just think, well, it's just pie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. I live in New York city. It's all French tarts and whatnot. I can't get a pie anywhere. <laughs> well, so what are you, um, what are you excited to make this summer? I know that a lot of ingredients are popping or what are you, what are you excited to make? Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I think sour cherries is one thing that we've been talking about, um, mm -hmm. both for pies and also for, for cherry bounce and for, um, cherry bounce. What is cherry bounce? <laughs> it's a whole lot of whiskey and a lot of cherries and, <laughs> and some sugar. Yeah. It's basically like this cherry liqueur that you just make by, you throw some cherries in a jar and we really like to use sour cherries because they're just more mm -hmm. Um, and then yeah, whiskey and sugar. Um, I feel like this is something, this is, it's like an all American beverage. It's, it's, it's oh, yeah. like George Washington's George Washington favorite little, was, yeah. Was it. yeah. <laughs> Cherry tree. Yeah. <laughs> right. You have the liquid, you have a liquid and then you drink it, but there's cherries in it too. Well, I mean, it's I think like it's a cherry. Like you don't just make it to make the cherries. You right? Not. Yeah, it's for the liquid. But I mean, the cherries come out. I, they're they're just booze soaked cherries. They're delicious. So right. we don't throw those away. We eat those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we eat them by the handful. Yeah. Uh, that sounds delicious. Yeah, I love that. But apricots and peaches. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they, when they do show up, we'll. I'm sure we'll get a flat or two of those and do something nice. Um, yes, probably some preserves, definitely pie. Um, I don't know. You know. You make really nice pies. I have seen your photos of your pie work on um, Instagram. Everybody, if you're not following Joy of Cooking on Instagram, it's very, it's very nice, and it's um, nice photography. But also, you always have good information just in the post. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we try to, we struggle with it. Yeah, but. we struggle a little with, with Instagram. I mean, social media, it's just like, it's like a second job, you know, it really um, it can be a lot of work, but, um, but it's, it's rewarding to just hear from people. I don't know, hearing from people who follow you and like, especially folks sometimes will reach out and just say like, I just want to let you know that I love your book and it's means so much to me. And that really, that really makes our day when we hear that. Um, and it makes all of that worth it. So right well it really has i mean it has made an impact I, I i would love to see it get made into a movie and <laughs> as we're talking i was like who should play john you know i i cannot i cannot i can't cast myself i'm not good at casting either i don't know i see now i'm gonna lay at night and think about this i'm gonna i'm you know because we need somebody who's like witty and like who's kind of has this like the educational background like has that because you, you come across as so wise. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you really are, but. He's very smart. I put on a good facade, yeah. Right, I feel like need somebody who has that quality for sure. Um, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it. If, if anybody who's listening, if you wanna comment uh, who should play John, the movie version. Um, but yeah, I love that romance. And I can just, I can just see that first, that first scene of when you guys are meeting, that kind of that awkward kind of, you know. <laughs> It's it's lovely, but I'm so glad that you guys are here and I have access to you because we live in the same city because I am a huge fan um, of the legacy for sure. Um, I think that it's so significant for anybody who fell in love with cooking to um, say thank you for writing such a great book and for keeping it alive all these years. I look forward to the, is it the 100 year anniversary or 80 years? Yeah, 100 yeah, 20, years in 2031. 31. Wow. 
Are you, will you have another edition out by then? <laughs> I mean, we, we'll, we'll definitely be aiming to release a new edition for the 100th anniversary. Um, yeah, we, we did one for the 75th anniversary. And if, I mean, obviously, if we did it for the 75th, we're going to have to do it for the 100th. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, knowing how ambitious you are, you probably add another, you'll add like a thousand new recipes <laughs> or something like that. Oh, yeah, there will be QR codes throughout the book for you know, <laughs> uh, little treatises on everything that we can't fit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Well, good luck to you. You better get started on it right um, after this call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, um, John and Megan, for talking to me today of Joy of Cooking. Congratulations on your book. For anybody who is out there who doesn't have this edition, it's definitely um, one to have because it has 600 new recipes, a lot of great tips and information. Um, and then be sure to follow their Instagram for more inspiration. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us.